So how's everybody tonight? Good, good, good. Hey, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Numbers. Uh, tonight we'll be in chapter 17. That's pretty close to 15. So if you <clears throat> want to open up uh, in the book of Numbers with me, keep in mind as we go through the book of Numbers, in the Hebrew it's called Bamidbar. Uh, the, the idea is while there were censuses, we're going to see another census at the end of the 40 years in the wandering, we want to recognize that the point behind the book of Numbers is their time in the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness. And as you and I can probably attest, multiple times in my life I felt like I was wandering through the wilderness. Maybe you feel like you're doing a little wandering in the wilderness yourself. We saw that the, the reason... The children of Israel found themselves in a position wandering in the wilderness and not experiencing the victorious life that God intended them to have was ultimately because of unbelief. They didn't trust. They didn't believe. They didn't take the word that God had given them and say, well, if God said it, it must be true. For you and I, we find ourselves in the wilderness wandering around feeling like we're not quite fulfilled. We've got maybe a bit of a grumbling spirit, which we see with the children of Israel. What was the root cause? Unbelief. We go throughout the New Testament. What do we discover in the New Testament? And Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that all these things we read about, the children of Israel uh, in the Old Testament, are given to us for our admonition. For our learning, that we would see the mistakes that they made and what it caused in their life. And we would say, that's not what we want to experience. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life how? More abundant. More abundant. But if we're entering into our Christian reality, you know, our, our Christian worldview, a Christian system, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we have to actually put... Our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're going to trust Him, then you have to rest yourself in His arms. Now, the trouble is, we'll rest there for a moment, and we see something coming, and we think, oh, we, I better get up and do something. I better get up and, and solve this situation. I better get up and, and take care of this, instead of pressing into the Lord. What do I mean by pressing into the Lord? Children of Israel, one of the great keys that they had in the wilderness was that the tabernacle was central to everything they did. The presence of God was central to everything they did. If they moved, it's because God moved them. If they stayed, it's because God stayed. And we have to realize we need to press in. Central in our life needs to be our relationship with Jesus Christ. Central in our life needs to be that focus that I need to press into Him. That I need to seek Him for everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. That means don't press into yourself. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. God wants to guide. God wants to lead. But we have to keep Him central, just like they did. Now, even though they had God central... There was still the matter of trusting God when God directs, when God leads, when God would take them to a place. Remember, he took a year bringing the children of Israel to Kadesh Barnea. And he brought them to Kadesh Barnea and said, now, I know there's big fellows over there, there's giants over there, there's trouble over there. But everywhere you put the sole of your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Trust me. Little by little, I'll give it to you. 
and they wouldn't enter into the victorious life because they didn't believe God would do it. In parallel, we see a lot of those same things happening with us. We go so far with the Lord, but when we face the giants, are we able to say, I trust you, Lord, in this, I trust you implicitly, I believe and fulfill the direction or calling that the Lord has given us? Are we able to do that? If we are, we enter into the victorious Christian life, the abundant life that Jesus promised. If not, then we find ourselves in the wilderness. We find ourselves at a little bit of wandering. And what we discovered, what happens next is, we are overtaken oft times by a grumbling spirit. That's what we saw last week. Children of Israel were grumbling. They didn't want Moses to lead them anymore. They decided, they gathered up all these leaders. Remember, they got 250 leaders together. Of the 250 leaders, and they had... A couple of other guys, Korah we had, Dathan and Abiram, they were all part of this rebellion. That, hey, God didn't pick you. He wants us to, to lead now. They were presuming leadership. And so God said, I'm going to choose who I want to choose. Remember? You remember how God chose? The ground opened up and swallowed up everybody that he didn't choose. And left was Moses and Aaron. And you'll remember, after this, God coming down saying, Nope, these aren't the guys I'm choosing. It's Moses and Aaron who are going to lead. I'm going to speak to them. They're going to speak to you. You can trust. You can believe. Just follow what Moses and Aaron are doing for you. Immediately, we find the people complaining. If we take a look as we're, as we're open to Numbers chapter 17, we back up in verse 41. It says, Now the next day... All the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and said, You killed the people of the Lord. Who were the people really upset with? God. Who they take it out on? Moses and Aaron. The beautiful thing we talked about last time about Moses and Aaron and the change, the difference in attitude between being a complainer and being someone that wants to experience the victorious Christian life. When Moses and Aaron are attacked, what did they do? They prayed. Right on their face, sought the Lord. Right on their face, sought the Lord. When God was bringing judgment against the very people who complained against them, Moses and Aaron didn't sit back and say, oh, they deserve it. What did they say? They said, oh, no, we, we, they intercede for the people. That means they pray that God would withhold this judgment and that the people would be spared. And they stood between the dead and the living like a barrier, put themselves standing in the gap, that God would spare the people. And that's what we saw last week. The difference. Moses and Aaron constantly complained against, yet continuing to pray for the people who were complaining. Continuing to, to press in to the Lord, to seek the Lord's hand and His guidance upon them. So in chapter 17, we've come to that the end of that last judgment that the Lord brought. And it says, the Lord spoke, to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each of the father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, write each man's name on his rod. The rod was their walking stick, in essence. Some stick that they would have picked up on their journey, and the leaders all had one. They all had this, this walking stick. And now God's going to say, Hey, I'm going to show you once again so that the people will stay focused in believing that God's directed them through these men. 
Because uh, their problem, their struggle was in believing that Moses and Aaron were the guys that God had picked. Why is that true? Well, think about it. What's 1 Corinthians tell us about the people God picks? He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the strong. He lays out the people that he chooses. He chooses because the light of the Lord will shine through whatever they do. That can't just be Moses and Aaron. That's got to be God. But they would see Moses and Aaron for all their failure, for all their shortcomings, for what they thought they didn't bring to the table instead of realizing little is much in the hands of the Lord, right? Little is much in his hands. We present ourselves to God as tools in the master's hands. He can do a lot with it. But the people, they still weren't sure. They're still not sure. So everyone's going to get a rod, 12 tribes, 12 leaders, 12 names on a rod. And you will write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. And you will place him in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it will be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Think about it. The picture that the Lord's saying is, when God's anointing is upon a person, he can bring life out of death. Those sticks, they're dead. There's nothing going to grow on those sticks. But when God's anointing is upon someone, the proof of that anointing is going to always be in the fruit. The fruit that comes out of it. Not anything else. It's going to be the fruit. Look what he says. I'm going to blossom the one whom I chose. And I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. God's saying once and for all, let me show you who I've chosen. The one who I've chosen, his stick is going to come to life. It's going to spring the life. It's going to blossom. Scripture goes on to tell. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel. Each of their leaders gave them a rod apiece for each leader. According to the father's house, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among them. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron, the house of Levi, had sprouted forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. In one day, one evening, Aaron's rod buds brings forth live blossoms. It brings forth the leaves and it brings forth ripe almonds. Almonds ready to pick, ready to eat. That these are all upon his rod. Showing what? The fruitfulness of God's anointed. We're never going to experience the fruitfulness of God without God's anointing. We can't just fake fruitfulness. And you can sit at home and try to work up fruitfulness, but it just doesn't work that way. How does it work? It works when we press into the Lord. We keep God central. God's anointing, His Spirit is upon us. We follow His direction and guidance. Fruit happens. That's how it works. And it shows that anointing of the Lord upon our lives. And so it says, And Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked, each man and his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. Now when it says he was in the tabernacle of the testimony, or to bring it back before the testimony, he's talking about the ark of the testimony. The Ark of the Ten Commandments, where the Ten Commandments would be kept within the Ark. 
And so he's going to, we're going to see the rod of Aaron being placed in the Ark of the Testimony, where the Ten Commandments are, and later on, where there will be a censer of manna also placed within uh, that same, that same uh, uh, Ark of the Testimony. And so he says, bring it back to the testimony so that it can be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. So God's saying, listen, I'm tired of all the complaining and all the carrying on that's going on, so let me solve this for you. Aaron's rod budded. I chose Aaron. Aaron is my chosen as the high priest. What, is, what was the role of the high priest? He's going to tell us in just a minute. But Aaron's responsibility is for the people. To watch over the people. To take care of the people. And so he says, listen, here's, here's my chosen. So it can be taken care of. We'll keep that rod in the ark of the testimony. Now nobody's ever going to see it. Whoever gets to go in that room. The high priest. And how many times? Once a year. is going to enter into the room where, where Aaron's rod that budded was placed. But every other leader of the nation of Israel still has his rod that's dead, right? Looking at that rod and not seeing the fruitfulness and realizing, I don't want to lift my hand against God's anointed. It's never about, it will never be about who's the best man for the job. I remember when I was just real early coming up in the church, we had a home Bible study. At the home Bible study, I would play guitar, and I had a friend that played guitar. Now, a friend of mine, his name was Alex Orelchikov. He was a Russian, and he was amazing on a guitar. To this day, I still talk to him occasionally on Facebook, he is still amazing on a guitar. And here we have this study, and we all are going to the same church, and then one day, the church, some of the folks from the worship team, contact me and ask me if I'd be willing to play guitar for them. And that just messed up the mind of Alex Orelchikov. Because he's like, I could play circles around Jackie. Why would you take him? Why would you take him when, when I have greater skill in that? I have a greater ability. Well, they chose the way they chose because that's how God was directing. That's how God was leading. Remember we talk about entering into the victorious Christian life. Can you trust God when someone else is lifted up and you're not? When someone else seemingly quote unquote is given another position or placed in another place uh, what you might view as, as a higher or, or more prestigious can you still say, I trust the Lord? Because who raises people up? The Lord does. What the Bible says, it's either true or it's false. If the Lord raises people up, do you trust Him? Or do you get upset? Do you grumble like the children of Israel and think, why wasn't it me? Why didn't I get that spot? Why did they pass over me? What's going on? Recognize the sovereignty of God as He works among his anointed as he leads his ch Whose church is it? Is it my church? Nope. It's God's church. It's his. Christ is the head. He's the head. He directs. He raises up one. He brings down another for his purpose. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts. Do we understand everything that God's doing all the time? No. The question is, 
And part of entering into victorious life, do I trust Him even if I don't understand? Now, the, the cool thing about Alex, he ended up going and, and being instrumental in Calvary Chapel Bible College in Russia. I think now he's in Arkansas. He's back in the States, back here. And, and the Lord's got him, I know, serving him in, in another capacity in the same way. The point is, God didn't not have a plan for Alex. He did. And it's just a matter of waiting on the Lord and saying, God, what do you have? What are you doing for me? Here, the Lord is making it evident Aaron is my man. Thus, Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses and said, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? Depressing group of guys, huh? Depressing group of guys. What's the problem? God didn't do what they thought he should. You ever been there? God didn't work it out like you think he should have done it. It didn't come together like you think it should have come together. And so these people are frustrated with the Lord and they're thinking in their frustration, well, we're just all, it's all ruined. It's nothing. We're just all waiting to die, which, well, in their case, they were just waiting to die. But the person that they wanted to replace had a role. The high priest, what was that role? To stand before the people to God. To be that bridge. Actually, to be what we call a type. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that we have a high priest. Who is that high priest? Jesus Christ is our high priest. He does what Aaron did for the people. What was that? Stand in the gap. Intercede. Pray. Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? That you're going to make it? That you have the strength you need? That, that, that God moves and works in your life? And the great news is Jesus is never not on the job. He's always. He lives ever to make intercession for us. Always praying for us. That should be a a thing of comfort. That's what the people didn't understand. All they saw was all this judgment of God and all this death and all these things going wrong. And they said, well, we're all going to die. And and anybody who comes near the tabernacle will die. Is that true? Anybody who comes near the presence of God is going to die? At one time, the children of Israel said, we don't want to go anywhere unless the presence of God is with us. But last week, as we looked through the scriptures In the middle of the book of Numbers, now all of a sudden, they're happy to go where the Lord isn't. That spirit of unbelief, that attitude of of disbelief and grumbling had brought them to a place of spiritual derision, death, rottenness. Rottenness. They, They can't see, sense, or understand what it is that God is doing in their lives. But as we look at chapter 18, look what happens. Immediately the Lord said to Aaron, one of two places in the scripture, you're going to find God speaking to Aaron. And the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. What's he saying? Listen, Aaron, you have great authority, but with great authority comes accountability and responsibility. 
and you're responsible for everything relating to the sanctuary. What's everything relating to the sanctuary? Everything relating to people's relationship with God. Aaron, you're responsible for the spiritual well-being in some respect of the people. To, to be reaching out and touching and making their needs. And you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. You'll bear the iniquity. You're responsible for the sin shape, if you will, of the, the, not only the people, but of the Levitical priesthood, the Levites and his sons, the priests. They're responsible to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Everything is above board. Everything is the way that it ought to be. They're the example that for people to see, look, follow, follow the leader and recognize that they're going in the right direction and doing the right thing. He says, also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. So Aaron and his sons did all the work of the tabernacle, going inside. The, all the work of the priests came from them. And all the help to do the work of the priesthood came from the tribe of Levi. All the Levitical tribes. So they would come alongside. They had responsibility as well. They will attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die. They and you also. He says, here's how many ways is there to, to come to the Lord? One way. God's way. This is what the point that he's making here. Okay, Aaron, this is how it's going to work. You, these guys, you can come and deal with the articles within the sanctuary, within the tabernacle, on the inside. But the, the tribe of Levi, they're going to help you do all those things. But they can't come near the, the furniture inside. They're not to come near the altar. That altar is holy, holy to the Lord. So you guys do that part. And they're going to be there helping you. They're going to be a part of it. And they will be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle. But an outsider shall not come near you. So it's all to be done between Aaron and his family, which will be the priests, and the tribe of Levi, which will be all those that are helping the priests perform their service. Now, as we look at this, we see an example of what 1 Corinthians lays out for us in the body of Christ. Christ, we already have established as the head, but we all have a role within that to take care of. Everybody is to do its part. Every part of that body is to do what that part of the body is supposed to do. The problem arises when, and what we just read about in the previous chapters was when a part of the body says, I don't want to be this part of the body anymore. I want to be that part. I don't want this job. I want that job because that job's more visible. And that job seems like it has more authority and it's more important. So that's a job for me. But if that is not what you are in the body, it's never going to work. So we present ourselves to the Lord and God places us within a body, in the place where we fit. And we need to learn not to be those who despise the day of small beginnings. Who say, I'm a pinky in the body of Christ and I hate being a pinky. 
I want to be an I. We'll see how that works for you. Cut your pinky off and stick it where your eye should be. See how well you see. We see how ridiculous it is when we consider doing that with a body, but we often don't think about how ridiculous it is when we try to do it within the body of Christ. When someone who is not called or gifted to a certain position or a certain place within the body tries to assume that place because of uh, you know, their, their own ambitions. And it's not the calling of God. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter. You're better suited, better built, better made to be this part than that part. And to stop looking at the body of Christ as though there was some kind of ladder of hierarchy... I remember when I was a youth pastor, whenever you go to the youth pastor's conference, Pastor Chuck would stand up and he'd always talk about how sometimes you have youth pastors who think when they've done a good enough job as a youth pastor, then they're going to be promoted to a real pastor. And Pastor Chuck would stand up every year and tell us, that's not a promotion, that's a demotion. Because when you're a youth pastor, you're on the cutting lines, man. You're with the kids. You're right there with those kids that are on the front lines that the devil wants them. The devil wants to take them. They're in the middle of warfare. There is no place more vibrant and alive than that ministry. And that's true of every ministry for which the Lord calls you. No less true for those who were the prayer warriors. Just like Moses and Aaron. Every time something went wrong, what did they do? intercede what is it that jesus does he intercedes but what's the most dilapidated ministry within most churches is a prayer ministry the less people will be at a prayer meeting than any other meeting any time any place why because we don't look at it the way god looks at it god looks at it and says amen this is important This is so important. It's the job I gave my son. He's a prayer warrior for us. But for some reason, we we look at that, or or maybe we give it lip service anyway, but, but God wants us to give that real service. You know, we have opportunity here with warriors on the wall. And I'd encourage anybody who can, get signed up. Take your hour on the wall. Stand on the wall. Be counted as a prayer warrior for the Lord. It's one hour out of 168 in the week. Jesus said, Can't you not, can you not wash with me one hour? One hour? Having that attitude and recognizing, listen, the Levites had a job, a role, giftings and callings from God to fulfill that role. And Aaron and his sons, they had giftings and callings to fulfill the high priestly role. And Moses had giftings and callings to fulfill the leadership role over the nation of Israel. And no amount of wanting to try to work your way to the top was going to change God's calling and God's anointing. But you see, isn't that very human? It's kind of the human mindset. From the moment we get a job, what do we try to do in our job? Work our way up. Get up to the top where you can make more money, where you have more prestige, more authority, more responsibility. All those things that we strive for. But the Bible says that that's, what, in evidence, what the Bible calls selfish ambition. And we're supposed to be about doing what God's called us to do. Well, now I'm not saying that we don't, shouldn't have a job, nor should we try to excel. Sure we should. But it doesn't work the same way in ministry, in worship, 
in drawing or pressing into the Lord. The role, the call, the giftings that the Lord's given you and you fitting in that place will be the most satisfying place for you to be within the body. Being and doing what you're called to do. When we do that, it's not work. It's, it's not striving and complaining and grumbling. It's just fulfilling the plan that God has for you. And he says, no outsider will come near you. No outsider. I've heard actually of some, uh, some churches that uh, have a plan where maybe, maybe, they, they, maybe they look at it as an outreach. I don't know where they'll bring in guys for the worship team that, that aren't saved. They'll go to the bar and find a good drummer, a good electric guitar player, have them learn the songs, come up and play and, and perform worship for the congregation. But the Lord says, no outsider will come near you. This, this is all about my giftings, my callings, my people who, who are here to serve me. No outsider will come near. Nobody from the outside. No, no unsaved people in a position of leadership within a church. But that it's all about who does God have and what's God doing. We got lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities for service. Lots of opportunities and needs within the body of Christ just here at Calvary Chapel Buell. We need someone to head up nursery on Wednesday night. We need someone to head up nursery or, or help out with nursery just about every service. Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Children's ministry. We're going to have a position open in children's ministry because... Well, Carol's moving to California. It's not if they move. It's just a question of when they move. Eric's already there. We have opportunity, and I know that God has within our body someone that he has specifically called and gifted for that service. But we have to, just like the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, recognize our calling. That's my spot. That's where I fit. God's calling for a thumb, and I'm a thumb. And then to go and fulfill that role that he's given us to do. So as we see, this is what he's talking about here. He goes on in verse 5. You will attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. No more wrath on the children of Israel. Hey, Aaron, let's go. Let's get this all worked out. That there's not all these people running amok. Because when someone, Aaron, is not understanding their relationship with me, when someone is running off in error, Aaron, you need to correct them. So that none of this stuff comes on us. That's no different in the church today. What do we have in the church today? We have deacons and elders and a pastor. And when we see a brother in error, the Bible tells us what to do. We're supposed to go to the brother in love. In love, seeking to, to raise him up, bring that correction always with an attitude of restoration, not punishment. We're not in the punishment game. It's not our job to punish anybody. It's our job to figure out how to restore someone, how to bring someone alongside, put your arm around and lift them up. That's what our role is. And the Lord says to Aaron and the, and the Levites, hey, it's your job. So no more comes against the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you. That's a good one to try to hold on to and remember. 
See, Aaron, as he's doing the work of the priesthood, he's working around these Levites. I guarantee there were Levites he liked and Levites that he just as soon worked on the other side of the tabernacle so they didn't pester him. But what did God say? Most of them are a gift to you. All of them are a gift to you. All. Do you know that all the members of the congregation of the body of Christ, not just our church, the body of Christ are a gift? When you come in contact with them, whether they bug you or not, there is a work that God is working in your life through them. God does something. He says in 1 Peter, we're all living stones rubbing up against each other. Sometimes we rub off each other's rough edges, right? Until we fit nice and tight together. That those people whom God brings alongside to minister with us together are a gift. We do well to remember they're a gift. Yeah, sometimes you, but you don't get to take them back. <laughs> we just want to, we just want to remember, hey, this is God given. This situation is God-given. This strife or struggle or conflict is God-given. Did you know that God tells us that through the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that every marriage is supposed to have conflict? Really? Yeah. That's what he says. Every marriage will have conflict. Why? Conflict's not bad. What's wrong with conflict? Every athlete on the planet uses conflict to make himself better, doesn't he? Oh, they call it practice instead of conflict or, or working out instead of conflict. But it's the same thing, isn't it? You put on more weight than you can lift and then you lift it so that your muscles get stronger. In marriage, we have conflict. It's not the conflict that's bad. It's how we deal with it. Do we see it as a gift? It's a gift from God. My spouse is a gift from God given to me to work alongside me and every day he or she or they are and we want to remember they're a gift given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting therefore you and your sons with with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar behind the veil and you will serve and I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service but the outsider who comes near will be put to death. Again, nobody outside the family, just people within the family. People within the family, within the church. People who are in a position of leadership or service ought to be believers, right? You don't want me to go down and find somebody in a bar and say, hey, will you come do twos and threes for a Sunday morning? Bad idea, right? So no different. That's what he's saying here. No outsiders come near. It's within the family. It's within the body, the body of believers here. And then he also said, your priesthood is a gift for what? What was it for? It was for service. It was for service. They're a gift to serve. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it's a gift to be able to serve. It's a gift to be able to worship. But most times, people look at worship as something they receive instead of something they give. Worship isn't, has nothing to do with what anybody does on the stage up there. Everybody on the stage up there, with the exception of, 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 of Joni, is a knucklehead. 
I didn't even have to do that because Joni can't hear me right now. Maybe. So, but we want to realize, we want to recognize it's not about what happens up there. Worship is what happens here. Worship is what happens when you open your heart to the Lord, when you lift your eyes to Him, when you uh, make a joyful noise, when you sing a new song to the Lord, when you give to Him your adoration. That's what it's all about. That's what that purpose of the service is. Sometimes people think the purpose of the service is to entertain folks with music. Oh, it had nothing to do with that. We try to present a... An opportunity or provide an opportunity for people to be able to shower the Lord with adoration. And that's on us if we're, if we're willing. We're called to do the same while we're up there. It's worship unto the Lord. Same way. Sit, service. Anytime we have an opportunity to serve, it's a gift. It's a gift. An opportunity that God gives us. And so as he goes on, he goes on and tells us now. The Lord... Spoke to Aaron, here, I myself have given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. And this shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every trespass offering, which they render to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. What's going on is he's letting them know what is their portion for the service that they give. The service that they give. He says, here's what I'm giving you. Who was the offering made to? To the priest? Who's it made to? God, right? So that means it's his. Who did he give it to? The priest. To the Levites. We give it to God. God gives it in service to what he's doing. When we give up our tithes and offerings today, it's no different. We give them to God. Malachi chapter 3, when it says you have robbed God, it doesn't say you robbed the preacher or the priest or the staff at a church. What's it say? You robbed God. Who do we give our offerings to? To God. If we're not giving our offerings to God, then it's not an offering. It's something else. When it's given to the Lord, here the Lord lays the ground rule. What are they going to receive? Every offering, every meal offering or grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, whenever those things were offered and they were burned, picture in your mind a barbecue. The portion that belonged to the Lord was burned on the altar. The part that was the priest when it was done cooking was given to the priesthood. That became their food. And depending on the offering, the other part of it would go with the one who brought the offering. It was this concept, this ideal of, of eating together, sharing a meal with the Lord. That's which burn up went to him. That's which, that which was prepared here went to the, to the families or to the different parts, uh, depending on the offering. Not every offering was the same. But each and every one of those offerings that he lists there were given... To the priests and to the Levites. Look what it says. He goes, now you, uh, you shall eat it. In a most holy place you will eat it. Every male will eat it. It will be holy to you. This also is yours. The heave offering of their gift. With all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them to you. You and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it. 
So there are certain offerings that were only given to the males. Other offerings that were equally shared among them all, that they would all be able to eat and all would have their needs met. How were their needs met? All their needs were met in the same way. They came through gifts to God that God gave to them. He goes on and says, Now, all of the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and grain, their first fruits would say, Offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. The best of the oil, he said, it goes to you. The best of the wine, that goes to you. Their first fruits, it goes to you. What's he laid out so far? The priesthood, the Levites, they would receive portions of the meal offering, the sin offering, trespass offering. They would see, receive the peace offering, the wave offering, the heave offering, the first fruits, and the best of the oil, and the best of the wine and grain that were given. Whatever first ripe fruit, in verse 13, is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Now listen, did anything change? When the person comes and brought their offering in those days, they brought their first fruits, and they presented it to the Lord, to whose account? Who does the Lord say they gave it to? They gave it to the Lord. He said, that's mine. Who did God give it to? The priesthood. It's God's, right? So he can give it. One of the most important things that we all, one time or another, have to learn in our giving, in our offering, in our, in our love offering, or whatever else that we're doing, is that we're giving that to the Lord. And the Lord gives it to whomever was receiving the offering. And God's going to guide how it goes and where it goes. Doesn't mean there should never be an account. We'll see in a moment that there is an account even for the, for the nation of Israel. But that attitude is, I'm giving it to the Lord. I remember one time, Kathy and I were going out to eat. And we're coming into this restaurant. And outside the restaurant, it's a homeless guy. And the homeless guy's, you know, asking people for money. And at the time, I was working a lot and we actually had a lot of money. And so when I was walking by him, I reached in my pocket, pulled out 20 bucks and gave it to him. And Kathy was just mad at me. She said, what are you doing? I says, well, hey, we got enough money, babe. We're okay. She says, not the money. You give him that money. He's just going to go drink it. He's going to go buy drugs or do something with it. And I says, well, babe, when I took it out of my pocket and put it in his hand, I, guess I was giving it to the Lord. I felt God directed me to do this. If he wants to blow that on something else, that's on him. I gave it to the Lord. I give it away to him. God, you, you go with this. Go with this gift. Go with this. So when we give, we can give as the Lord guides, as the Lord directs us and recognize this is my gift to him. It's my worship to him. This is between me and God. Disconnected from the other part because once I give it to him, it's God's. It belongs to him. Isn't that what Malachi chapter 3 says? God says, you have robbed me. And they said, how have we robbed you in your tithes and offerings? But you said your tithes and offerings go to the priests. No, the tithes and offerings go to God. 
God gives what he gives to the priests. He'll take care of that end. We're supposed to take care of our end. What we do on the other side of it. And that's what he's laying out for us here. All these that they have. Listen in verse 14. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. That's every firstborn. Every firstborn animal that was to be redeemed. Everyone that was brought in to, to, to be paid or to be given. The Lord says every devoted thing belongs to you. What was their part in it? Their part in it was that they were the ones responsible for the spiritual well-being of the nation. And to fulfill that role. Did they always do it right? Huh. But God takes care of it when they don't do it right, right? The Lord knows how to take care of His anointed. He goes on to tell them what else. Everything that first opens a womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, is yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you will surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you will, re- you will redeem. So we, we talked about that in Leviticus. So they would have their firstborn ceremonially. They would bring the firstborn, but they didn't give their firstborn child to the priesthood. They would come and they would redeem him with silver. Interesting, right? 30 pieces of silver is what was the price for, for Christ. They would be redeemed. They would be bought. So there, that was always uh, occur. But the money of the redemption would go to them. He goes on. In, in fact, as we're considering this, Proverbs uh, chapter 3. If you want to flip over there real quick with me, you can. If not, hang on and I'll share it with you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, the Lord lays out, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. I find it interesting that in the scripture, one time, one place, one area where the Lord says to test me. It's in Malachi chapter 3, when he talks about the tithe. When he talks about the tithe, don't worry about it, we don't have an offering tonight. When he talks about the tithe, he says, listen, when, when, you, when you have the right attitude toward giving then I won't send the devourer. The devourer, that which devours everything you have. Have you ever met him? That's the guy who eats everything from the time you get your check until, you know, roughly it's put in the bank before it's all gone. The devourer. It all doesn't ever seem to make it. Doesn't ever seem to stretch. Doesn't ever seem to go. But the Lord says when you have the right attitude about giving, the devourer won't come. And you can hear testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of people who tithe, who have a right attitude of giving. Uh, I'm not trying to tell you that you have to tithe, but have that right attitude of giving. We talk about it on Sunday morning. And when they do, the devourer doesn't come. That's what he said in Malachi. Here in Proverbs, he said, hey, when we have that right attitude about giving, when we have that right attitude about tithing, what happens? Your barns are full and your vats are full of new wine. Because God honors the heart of obedience and trusting Him. And that's what He's laying out for them. And that's what He's showing in, the, in all these gifts that we see going to the priesthood. He goes on and says, Now, those who, re, who are redeemed of the devoted things, you will redeem when one month old, according to your valuation for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. That's a measurement of how much weight the silver would be. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the firstborn of a cow, or of a sheep, or of a goat, you shall not redeem. 
They are holy. They're for the Lord. They are to be offered as an offering. You will sprinkle their blood on the altar, burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And their flesh will be yours, just as a wave breast and the right fire yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt. Covenant of salt. Here's what a covenant of salt is all about. A covenant of salt is that which preserves. A covenant of salt is eternal. What did he say? It is a covenant of salt for how long? Forever. Eternal. It's unchangeable. Incorruptible. It's an enduring thing that will not putrefy or corrupt. This is an important covenant that the Lord makes with the tribe of Levi and with the priesthood. He says, this is a a, a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Land wasn't theirs. The land they got nothing of. I'm reminded of the concept Larry Norman would put forth we are only visiting this planet this place is not my home they were not to have any inheritance in the land none zero zip everything for them everything from them everything around them did what came from the lord what's he go on to tell them you shall have no inheritance in their land nor shall you have any portion Among them, I am your portion. I'm reminded in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about Abraham, he says, when he focuses in on Abraham, he says, Abraham looked for a city that had foundations, something that was lasting, that didn't just fall over. A city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. He didn't look at anything here. How did Abraham dwell? In a tent. Why? Because this place is not his home. If we think something here is going to satisfy, some house, some building, some land, some crop, some whatever, if we think there is anything here that is going to give us a sense of fulfillment when finally everything makes sense because I have it here now, he says, no, you have no portion here. You had no inheritance in the land. What was it that they were called to? What was their portion? The Lord. Him. Him being central. I promise when I see the Lord, when I come face to face with Jesus Christ and I look into his eyes, I'm not going to wonder why I didn't have a bigger place. I'm not going to bring up my smashed Harley at all. None of that matters. I have no portion here. Why am I applying this to us? Well, because 1 Peter tells us we're a royal priesthood. Just like the tribe of Levi, just like Aaron and his sons. And he lays out for us this this concept. You have no inheritance in their land. This place ain't ours. But my inheritance is in him. I am your portion and your inheritance Among the children of Israel. 
We don't have time to go there tonight, but all throughout the Psalms, 16, Psalm 73, Psalm 142, over and over again, the psalmist sings this one phrase, that God is his portion. He's everything I need. He's going to meet my every need. He is all that I need in this world. And all I want in the next. He's my portion and my inheritance. And then he says in verse 21, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work that they perform, the work of the tabernacle of the meeting. The tithe, like we've talked about, is God's. And who did God give it to? God gave it to the tribe of Levi. Hereafter, the children of Israel will not come near the tabernacle of meeting unless they bear sin and die. So they, weren't, they were allowed to be in the court area. Remember when we did show the pictures? There was an outer court and then there's an inner court. They were able to be in the outer court where they could come, bring their sacrifice. But once it went to the altar and it was divided, they would go from that place right back out. They didn't enter in to the tabernacle. That was only for those who were in the family, the priesthood, those who were apart. But the Levites will perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they will bear their iniquity. It will be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they will have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel they will have no inheritance." God didn't want those people that were set apart for His service to be so focused on all the worldly things that they couldn't do what God was calling them to do. What do we see at the time of Christ? Remember, what was, what was going on in the temple when Jesus came to the temple? You had money changers. Why did you have money changers? Because as they changed the money, the priests got the money. The priests were all about making money. The priests were... It was all this big commercial system and none of it was anymore about Serving the Lord and Him being their portion. They're trying to get what they thought they deserved since they didn't inherit inherit any of the land. Here he's saying, again, listen, I'm your inheritance. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you will offer up a heath offering of it to the Lord, a tenth. Of the tithe you receive. Isn't that interesting? See the Levites weren't immune to the tithe. They received the tithe. But they were still to tithe. One of the things that Kathy and I learned a long time ago. Well, t- about 15 years ago. We <clears throat> lost everything started over. So when we lost everything and started over. Learning to tithe when you didn't have anything was much easier. Than when we had a lot of stuff. So we learned to tithe. It's been something we've done ever since. Before I do anything else, I do it. What's the word say? The word says right here, hey, you were to do, the tribe of Levi was to do a tent still. They weren't immune from giving. They were still called to give. They were still called to have, just like we've been talking about, going through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, 8 and 9 a right attitude about giving. All of us. Why? Because none of us want to be focused on money and that's our goal because where our treasure is what happens that's where our heart goes 
Where, what was their portion? What was their inheritance? The Lord. That's where the heart was supposed to be. Not on anything else. So in the same way, God called to have that same attitude about giving. That we would have the attitude. Why? Because, because God is a great receiver? No. What is God? John 3.16, probably the, the most oft-quoted verse, tells us what God is. He's a giver. For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. And He says, now you, come and follow Me. And we do it the same way, so that we have a right attitude and a right placement in our, in our hearts about where money ought to be. Because what is the root of all kinds of evil? Is it money? The love of money. What's that mean? That's where my heart is, right? And my heart is supposed to be focused on the Lord. That's what God wants of us. And that's what He's saying here. That's what He's saying here. And we come to the... Personally... Kathy and I tithe, and then everything above that is offering. And we do that as God directs and and as the Lord leads us. It's not about keeping score or who's ahead or who's not ahead. That's something the Lord spoke to us and something that we have decided that we are going to honor. And what is it that the New Testament tells about our giving? New Testament tells about our giving that if you give, give hilariously out of the joy of your heart. And if you can't do that, then don't give it. But it is pointing out a problem. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Where's your treasure? Is your treasure the Lord? Is your treasure someplace else? So the same thing. That's why the Levites were to have this same thing to apply to the people, applied to them as well. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall also offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron. So the Levites would receive, the tribe of Levi received all the tithes. God gave it to them. Then all the Levites would tithe, and that would go to the family of Aaron, which now is small and down the line, it's going to be big. Aaron's kids will be those through whom the priesthood travels. The high priests were to be of his family. So, as we see, this was a plan that the Lord had. Of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord. From all the best of them. The consecrated part of them. Well, he had to remind the tribe of Levi. I'm not just calling the people to give their best. I'm saying for you to give your best. God doesn't want the leftovers. He wants the first part. I struggle with that for a long time. I I, I struggle with that, especially in light of what part of my day to give the Lord. I can stay up until four in the morning. No problem at all. Get up at Four in the morning, and you have a whole nother Jackie coming up out of that bed. Whole nother attitude. And I used to say, well, you know, I'm going to spend my time with the Lord, but I'm going to spend my time with the Lord in the evening. And I can even wait till it's officially morning, but it's really what part of my day? It's the end, right? It's the leftover. What does God want? My best. 
The best part of my day that the Lord says the best part is the first. What was the part of the, the harvest that God wanted? The end of the harvest? The beginning of the harvest, right? Oh, that's the place of faith, right? Because just because you went out and gathered harvest today doesn't mean that something doesn't happen and you lose it all tomorrow. But the Lord said, you give me the first. He wants the first of our day. He wants the first of our offering. He wants the first of our heart. He wants to be first. Because then He is our treasure. And our heart's in the right place. And God can speak to us and lead us and guide us. And where do we find ourselves walking in? Victorious Christian life. Or, we can wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They did it. We can wander in the wilderness and say, gosh, you know, I always thought being a Christian was going to be, have more joy than this. I always thought being a Christian was going to have more peace and, and tranquility and all these things, but, but I haven't experienced any of that. Are you in the wilderness? Is God central? Does He hold that right place within your heart? Verse 30, Therefore you will say to them, When you have lifted up the best... Then the rest will be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the wine press. As you lift up the best, then you take the rest. It'll be enough. It'll be enough. You may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. And you will bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy gifts of the Lord of Israel lest you die. So they would take the best of that which was offered, and then they too would offer the best of what they had, and they would keep the rest. God would meet their needs. God would carry them through all the way, all through that time, because God was to be their focus. He's their portion. Listen, God wants to be our portion. And if we want to experience a victorious Christian life, then we need to experience that portion that God wants to give. Jesus said, I came to give you life more abundantly. It's either the truth or a lie. If it's the truth, and we're not experiencing that abundant life. They didn't say easy life. They said abundant life. There's a difference. But a life full of, of the joy of the Lord. A life full of the, the best oil, the best wine. Our, our, we're finding a place where God is, is becoming everything that we need carrying us through all the times that we need, then he has to be in that rightful place. If God was in that place when they came to Kadesh Barnea the first time, they'd have went into the land then. But it took 40 years of lessons for their children to learn by watching mom and dad mess up before they were ready to go into the land. And even after they enter the land, same danger still exists, doesn't it? We've entered the land. We've been working so hard to enter into the victorious life. Wow, we, we crossed the Jordan. We had victories. We've got the land. And then all of a sudden, one day, they just stopped. They just stopped. Life was good. Everything's good. The name of the book in the Bible for that time period is called Judges. It's the worst time of their history. Because they just quit Keep staying focused on the Lord being their portion. The same errors that they make, we can make. 
the same victories that they won, we can win. If we just rightly apply God's word, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I believe God's leading me. This is where God's gifted me. This is where God's calling me. I'm going to fulfill my role. And the whole point and purpose of it all is to please him. Not to please me. It's to please the Lord. Please the Lord with where you serve. Please the Lord with how you give. That's how Jesus watched, right? How you give. Please please the Lord with the rightful place. Him holding the rightful place in your life. And you will experience abundant life. Zoe. Life unable to be extinguished. Abundance. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for just a neat opportunity to study through the book of Numbers. Father, we we ask, Lord God, that your word indeed would find that fertile place within our lives, within our hearts to grow, that we would realize that your word has application to us, that your word is speaking to us, the experience that these these men and women had in the Old Testament. They speak to our experience today. They're given to us as examples, Lord, that we might learn. Unfortunately, the one thing we know best from history is that we are not very good at learning from history. So help us, Lord, by your Spirit, apply the truth of your Word. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit to recognize our gifts and callings. And to find peace in fulfilling our role within the body of Christ. Lord, by your spirit, speak to our hearts in how we give. Lord, by your spirit, move and work in our lives that we would keep you in that place of honor. That you might be first. For as we truly allow you to be central in our life, God, then... We are walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And we experience the abundant life. A life that burns with holy fire, but is not consumed. Just like the burning bush. A place of holy ground where we take off our sandals and And leave nothing between us and Him. For we are called to be holy as He is holy. Lord, by Your Spirit, just speak to our hearts even now. Tell us where that next battle is to be fought within our spiritual lives. That next stronghold, Lord, that that You want us to put the sole of our feet so that You can give us a victory. And Father, may we, as your children, trust you as you lead us, as you call us, as you equip us, as you guide us, that you might be central, Lord, and that you might receive praise and glory for who you are. May we rightly reflect the truth and the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. May we leave the wilderness and walk in victory with you. For truly we fight from victory. The battle is won. 
It is finished. So may we by faith leave the wilderness behind and keep you in that rightful place, Lord. Guard us from grumbling. Guard us from all the things that will lead us down the wrong path and help us stay focused on you. And truly, we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.